It's time for JT the Brick. I am JT the Brick, focused black hole, getting in there, ready to rock. I got my A game. I've been there with the Raider Nation in the black hole. I've been in this rivalry. I've seen it in my 24 years here. It's a do-or-die game. Can't let them win in Vegas. Protect the house. Protect the Legion Stadium. Be ready to go. No half-ass effort. You don't need a PhD. You don't need some expert on CNN or Fox News teaching you about fandom. I just told you. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll right now, so let me go. Hey, JT. Yes. I love you, and I love your show, Thank you. That's what the Raiders are based on. Al Davis, the history of the Raiders, they were always banged up. They were always taped up. They had blood coming through their helmets, and they played the 11 angry men. I'm not encouraging injuries. I'm encouraging violence. So that's where we are, Raider Nation. Simply put, man up and play football and win a game. And now. That's a hell of a motivational speech. Here's JT the Brick. All right, our number two of the show. Thanks to Kerry Bulbaltz, president of the Golden Knights. Bill Krakenberger joined us in the first that was fantastic. He was fantastic coming on. Really appreciate him. Follow him at Crack Wins. We are still celebrating the Vegas Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup and waiting for the Raiders to come back for training camp. Vinny Bonsignor joins us weekly. We're very fortunate to have him here, not only as a host on the station, Las Vegas Review Journal, all of his other platforms. And Vinny, I'm excited to talk to you this week because I wanted to talk about your mailbag, and I mentioned it before you came on. I think you're very transparent that when you put out your mailbag, you want to interact with the viewers, the listeners, the readers, and get their questions. How do you choose which questions you're going to put in the column? Yeah, I mean, you know, as you can imagine, uh, especially with the Raiders, when there's pressing issues, let's say Josh Jacobs, you're going to get, you know, duplicates of the same questions. So obviously, you try to streamline it uh, in, in that regard. Um, but, you know, pretty much everything goes uh, as much as stay, space uh, can allow for, for, for me. So, and I find that Raider Nation asks a lot of, uh, you know, um, smart questions and intelligent questions. Uh, and there are a lot of questions about this team, you know, beginning with Josh Jacobs. And he just uh, tweeted something out just a few minutes ago, uh, which has left everybody kind of wondering what he meant by it. And um, I don't know if you saw it, but I it did. was just a few words, bad business, so um, that probably doesn't bode well uh, for for his objectives to sign a long-term uh, deal with the Raiders, but one thing I would say is uh, I don't think, I, I think it would be a mistake to say that the Raiders don't want to sign Josh Jacobs to a long-term uh, extension as well. I think what, what it boils down to is one side has a number um, that they think is the right number, and the other side has a number that they think is the right uh, number. Uh, and trying to find that middle ground uh, is is proving to be difficult. And um, and at this point, I'm not quite sure uh, if any kind of an extension is going to happen. Not extension, but a new long-term deal is going to happen before the July 17th deadline. And then we'll see what happens from that point on. But um, you know, and that, it's just it's it's a tough time to be a running back. Uh, that's the other bottom line of all, all this. Yeah, Vinny Josh Jacobs was just said tweeted out a little while ago, a little less than an hour ago. Bad business. So Richie Incognito reacted, pay the man. There's going to be other fans. Look, I, I don't get involved with players' money and until the money is official. He's either going to sign to become a franchise player on a franchise tag or they're going to negotiate something, which will be probably not long-term. It'll be short-term with the signing bonus being the majority of that money. You know, I'm following New York sports as closely as I do. Saquon Barkley's going through the same situation. As I talk to you, the ESPN crawl has Dalvin Cook released. 
uh, June 9th, and where's the landing spot for him? We know this is a different era than the era you and I grew up in where you had a running back on a team for 9, 10 years, and he was the cornerstone of your payroll. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I've had some people, I've seen some speculative stories out there about Josh Jacobs potentially getting traded, which makes absolutely no sense. I mean, if you're a team in need of a running back, well, on the free agent market, there's Dalvin Cook, there's Kareem Hunt. Um, there's there's running backs that are available right now. Ezekiel Elliott is out there uh, that you would only have to pay money to rather than have to give up draft picks and uh, money uh, as well. So um, there, it's 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 like I said, it's a tough time to be a running back. And you're right. During when we were kids, your Tony Dorsett's, your Franco Harris's, your Eric Dickerson's, your Earl Campbell's, your Walter Payton's, those were the face of the franchise, sometimes more than the quarterback themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they were stalwarts that played every down and were, you know, year after year after year, were the centerpieces of their offense. It's just not um, that way anymore. And especially when you're talking about uh, second contracts for running backs, because our analytics are, are, are showing that that second contract, you're, not, you're, you're rarely going to get uh, you know, return on your investment at that point. So uh, I don't know what the alternative is. I don't know how they're going to make it a little bit more fair for, for running backs. And, and if we want to throw another position group into that, it's linebackers. It's not, it's not a coincidence that, that the two shortest shelf life uh, positions in the NFL are running back and, and linebacker. They basically square off, off against each other almost on every single play, whether you're talking about blocking, uh, or, or running and tackling, and, and it's a physical position, both of them are, uh, that, that isn't, isn't uh, conducive to longevity. Vinny Bonsignor is our guest, uh, Vegas Nation, Las Vegas Review Journal, right here on our flagship every morning uh, with Clay, and Lindsay does a great job. So what's fascinated to me is when I look at the Raiders this offseason, Josh is so important to me because I never thought he'd lead the league in rushing. I just thought he'd be a player because of the system with Josh McDaniels. There'd be a lot of slot passes. There'd be a lot of quick decisions from the quarterback. And the running back wouldn't be leaned on as heavy as it was last year. Now I look at him and I'm assuming if he starts and plays and everything goes great, that that's going to change everything because it's going to make Jimmy Garoppolo know and he had good running backs in San Francisco, believe me, as you know, guys who can make plays, catch the ball out of the backfield. But I don't recall him having the leading rusher coming into a new team. And he has that now, and it's got to make him feel well. A lot of fans still just can't envision Jimmy Garoppolo being there at training camp. And you and I aren't going to jump ahead. We're not trainers and doctors. But all indications, Devontae's super healthy, Josh Jacobs healthy, and Jimmy will be healthy by training camp. And I think that's the triangle of those three core players that could elevate this offense. Yeah, absolutely. And then you start talking about um, uh, you know, smaller-rolled players that can play big roles alongside those, type, those superstar-type players. I'm not going to say Jimmy G's a superstar, uh, but you get the point. Uh, the, two, the three key components of the Raiders' offense, Jimmy G, Josh Jacobs, and Devontae Adams. Now you're talking about Jacoby Myers, who was a, you know, uh, his team's de facto number one uh, the last couple of years with the Patriots. Hunter Renfro, who looked healthy uh, and back on track. Uh, you've got you, you know uh, role players like a Devon, like a uh, DeAndre Carter, uh, Trey Tucker, players that you can you can visually see or, or kind of imagine how Josh Jacobs is going to or Josh McDaniels is going to use those types of players 
um, you know, creating matchup issues for, for the defense. You can only, you know, focus in on so many guys when you're talking about devoting uh, defensive attention to. And then you have a tight end like a, like a Michael Mayer um, and an Austin Hooper who, have, who has shown that he can, you know, be a reliable uh, piece on an offense. And you start looking at those, that offensive weaponry, and if Jer- Jimmy G is able to stay healthy, all of a sudden you're, you're looking at what could be a really good uh, offense. And we all understand that it, is, that it is predicated on Jimmy G staying healthy. But if, that, if they could catch some good fortune in that regard, there's no reason why this offense can't be a, a top-level NFL offense. Uh, Vinny Bonsignor, as we continue on, uh, we touched on also with Tyree Wilson coming in, uh, losing a little bit of pounds in Chandler Jones. I described it to his brother, John Bone Jones. He comes in, he's either bigger or lighter because he's one of the greatest UFC fighters of all time. They're brothers. They understand this. They know how to put on weight or take off weight. Did you think it was imperative for Chandler Jones to take off weight? He looks pretty lean to me. And if it's five pounds, six, eight pounds heading into training camp, does that make him a different player and a different role to you? Because you would think that'd be pretty light to be on the inside. And I thought we'd see him on the inside a little bit more. Yeah, and I I, I can't imagine that he's going to play at the weight that we saw him uh, in, in OTAs. And, and like you said, you just you hit the nail on the head. Uh, players like that, they understand how to put weight on in the, in the necessary time uh, that it's going to take. So, uh, But I do expect him to be lighter than he was last year. And I think that that's him looking at his body right now and his age and understanding to be able to move the way he wants to move as a pass rusher. Um, he's probably got to get a little bit lighter uh, in order to be uh, to, to accentuate that speed and that quickness. Now, the tricky part of it is uh, losing power, and and you know for for what all we want to say about Chandler Jones, the pass rusher, and it wasn't quite there uh, throughout the course of the season. It started getting better later on in the season, uh, but even when he wasn't rushing the passer, he was doing a really good job of setting the edge uh, in the run defense, which is important as well and he can't lose uh, that power uh, in pursuit of adding the quickness so he's got to find that fine line and i would suspect that he would that allows him to be the powerful player that he is but also be able to maybe uh, create a little bit more juice on the pass rush uh, Vinny, it's too early but i just want to sense from you last year i was a big proponent don't play anybody don't why should you it's josh mcdaniel's first year but as i talked today i read a column from vic and Tashan before we had you on on the depth of this secondary and what they're trying to do with linebacker, but more importantly, the cornerback position. These guys got to play a lot in the preseason, I would think. There's players there. We're not talking about elite superstar corners here. These are guys that you don't want to play them a lot in case of injury, but there's so many players that I need to see in the preseason to see if they're going to get on the field, let alone start, or push another teammate for a position there. Nate Hobbs, I don't know what the role's going to be with him. I thought he took a little bit of a step back. We touched on that with the injuries. How much would you want to see of Nate Hobbs in the preseason? The only live action he's going to get is in these dual workouts. Do you expect the defense under Patrick Graham, the starters and the first guy up guys, to play a little bit more in these three preseason games? I, I do, and maybe not necessarily the third preseason game, but, mm-hmm. uh, but those first two preseason games. And what is good, you mentioned the dual practices against the San Francisco 49ers and, and the L.A. Rams, weeks one and two in the preseason. They're going to get a walk-up um, against both of those teams. And, and knowing from experience, uh, having covered uh, joint practices, those are extremely valuable because, you know, as a coach, now you can, you're not, you're not um, beholden to the pace of the game, the natural pace of the game. What if you want to get – 
you know, your first team offense, uh, a, a good, healthy series. But what if you go, what if it's a three and out or, or conversely, defensively, the same thing happens. Um, you know, so your plans go awry based on what happens in the game. Whereas in joint practices, you work with the other coach to set up scenarios so that you're getting probably a good 75, 100 snaps uh, over the course of a couple of days where your first-team offense and first-team defense is playing the equivalent of the other team's first-team offense or first-team defense, and you're getting quality work in, in the red zone, uh, in, in two-minute offense, four-minute offense, uh, you know, just drives 11-on-11 uh, 11 11 down the field. So you're getting really good work against another team. So I think that's going to suffice um, as well. That's going to help out well so that that may, that may um, you know, uh, result in the starters not necessarily playing a whole lot in the preseason. They're going to get a lot of work in against the Rams and the 49ers uh, in the days leading up to those two games. And, Vinny, finally I look back. I couldn't find you here as I'm talking to you, but I, I sent out a tweet and retweeted from Pro Football Focus. They had the ra- rankings, and they had the Raiders ranked 25th, and that drives me nuts. But it shouldn't, because I've been doing this long enough that I should be aware of what's going to come there. But when you look at teams like Pittsburgh, who I thought the Raiders should have won that game on Christmas Eve, Jacksonville, they had a 20-point lead. They didn't have a 7-point lead. I thought they were better than Jacksonville. And Denver, that they've beaten Denver the last six out of seven times. That's what bothers me when they take teams that I think the Raiders are better than and rank them ahead of them. And I think that's going to be a big talking point for you in the mornings and me on my show is that when we get closer and we come out of training camp, how many people around the league are going to know what the Raiders have depth-wise? How much improved the depth is under Dave Ziegler for Josh McDaniels and Patrick Graham coming into this year? How good they are on special teams in the kicking game and scoring? Is there anything that could happen in the next six to eight weeks that leads you to believe that the Raiders could shoot up a ranking board? Is it going to be Marcus Peters at cornerback or maybe a right tackle that's cut from another team? Or are they going to come into this season ranked like 24th, 26th, 27th from the national media? I do think that uh, – I don't think there's really much that can change that's going to change perception. And I think that and, – and, and, and rightfully so. I think for the Raiders, uh, they need to, to, to be able to show that they can win the close games that they lost, mm-hmm. that they can hold on to the double-digit uh, leads that they squandered. You know, four out of the five times that they had double-digit leads, they lost those games. Um, you can't have that. And I think that that's, last, that, that's left – um, you know, kind of a lasting impression uh, of the Raiders, and it's up to them to change that impression. Now, the good news is they, they did lead five times by double digits, and they, they, they were within uh, one score, nine of their 11 losses. That's, that's a lot of close losses right there. Uh, so there's, there's, there's definitely a path, you know, uh, available to them to kind of turn things around in that regard. But, but for them to start getting that respect, for them to start – moving up uh, the power rankings, they're going to have to show early on uh, that they're now capable of, of winning those games uh, and winning the majority of those games. Do I think that they can do it? I think it's certainly possible. Uh, I don't sense that this is a hopeless situation for the Raiders whatsoever. I'm not sitting here and saying they're a Super Bowl contending team or you should expect them to, to reach the Super Bowl, uh, but I do think that the playoffs, if players stay healthy, um, and I do think that there's there's more depth there, uh, at least what I was able to uh, to eyeball uh, in OTAs and, and minicap. I think there's the potential for for more depth, which should help in some of those closer games, and you know being a little bit more healthy down the stretch and being a little bit more capable down the stretch. If they can do that, they're gonna they're gonna definitely earn people's respect. But but it's on them to do that. Yeah, they have to do it. They they can't they can't allow that to happen in back to back seasons. I mean, last year I thought a lot of it was a fluke, and they 
They were on the wrong side of it. Uh, the Kyler Murray game, what happened in, with Baker Mayfield with the Rams, I think they put the Raiders in that position nine times out of ten. They win eight or nine of those opportunities. That can never happen again, and I'm hoping for vast improvement when it comes to coaching, down and distance, clock management, quarterback play in the red zone, and that could change everything. Vinny, I know you have a great tequila partner. Tell us all about it. Yeah, Dos Caldas is, uh, is growing uh, as we speak. Um, and, and they're a big part uh, of, of what we do. And, uh, and I can't wait for the season to start uh, to have our rallies and, and have them behind it. Um, and I know they're excited about it. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's really a fun time and a great time to be associated with them. Take care, Vinny. Talk to you next week. Appreciate you. You too, JT. Vinny Bonsignor. Catch him on the mornings here, the morning tailgate, and read all of his work. I like his mailbag because a lot of the things that he discusses in his weekly mailbag where a lot of listeners are able to jump in on is what I'm talking about, too. I don't have all the answers here, but he gives you those opinions. And a lot of Raider fans, not a lot, but the ones who don't agree with him, put yourself in his position. He's at practice. He asked the first question to the coach. He's the guy that's been doing this and, and doing it at the highest level. He's just trying to get you information on the radio and in the column there at the Review Journal. And some days it's easier than others. Other days you got a big, big storyline. Josh Jacobs put out this tweet uh, during the show today, bad business. What does that mean? Oh, I, I would think it means that he wants a long-term contract with more money than the franchise tag of over $10 million. There's nothing wrong with that. The question is, will he go to Twitter every day? I don't think he will. Will he talk about it much? I don't know. I don't think he's going to come on my show and reach out and say, I want to talk about the tweet, nor am I going to reach out to him because I don't get involved in players' money. And it's worked really well for me. I'll talk about their play. We'll criticize it. We'll encourage them to play better. We'll talk about their great moments and their and their weak games where they didn't show up. But I'm never going to talk about a player's money. Because if you talk about someone else's money, that gets personal. And they'll never forget it. You know, Darren Waller was at the Aces game the other night. I know that a couple people interviewed him, and I saw some of it on television as I look back on it. And did Darren Waller leave? Will the Raiders not have him back for money? Yeah, someone has to do with money. He's a highly paid player. Okay, they evaluated him. They think he's a great man. He walks the tunnels. He's sober. He's getting people sober in life. There's nothing bad you could say about Darren Waller. Might there have been a couple of disagreements along the way? Sure. They made a decision to go get out of the Darren Waller business. Not forever. Once a Raider, always a Raider. I wish him well. What else can we do? This is a business. Players are going to come and go. Look what happened with Marcus Allen and Al Davis. And Mark Davis, when Mr. Davis passed away... He brought Marcus back into this scenario where I see Marcus all the time now. I mean, he's here constantly, even times you don't know about it. There's Marcus. Why? He's a Kansas City Chief and a Raider. No, Mark Davis loves him as a confidant and a person. There was a disagreement with Marcus and Al. It was all over business, heavy business at the time. Bo Jackson was brought in. Bo Jackson. Okay, but Mark came in. And Mark fixed it to his liking so Marcus can come back and be involved with this team all the time. It's hard to run a business. It's hard to run a sports business. Not everybody is happy. There are a lot of athletes when they get released or they're past their prime or they're in their prime. Bill Walsh, if you read any of Bill Walsh's books and understood he would rather get rid of a player one year earlier than one year late. I'm sure there's times, I don't have all the examples, that Bill Walsh got rid of a player and Bill Belichick, too. Belichick followed that same exact Bill Walshism. Get rid of the player early. Don't hold on to the aging player and the aging contract. And sometimes it burns you. Other times you nail it. 
and you're able to use that money and put those resources to a younger player and a player that costs a lot less who could be very productive. That's what the salary cap is all about now. I mean, to give Josh Jacobs $10 million for one year seems like it's a smart investment if you could get away with it. But Josh Jacobs wants more, and a lot of fans think he deserves a long-term contract. That is business. There's a lot of finance guys in that Raiders headquarters that talk to Dave Ziegler, and Dave knows the numbers, and he's trying to get rookies signed and trying to get undrafted free agents signed and trying to move some money and change a contract and change the guarantee and rework the contract. It is super complicated. The Raiders traditionally have been pretty good about that, you know, dating back to Mr. Davis. And I, one of the things I talk about with Mark all the time, and I know this about Mark Davis, there's never been a position or a player that I'm aware of that Mark isn't like, do what's best for the team. Mark gets out of the way. His money. He owns the team. He's the majority owner of the team, even though there's minority partners. And if Mark does not usually get in the way, not that I'm aware of, and saying no, he'll say, do what it takes to get the deal done. And a lot of owners do that. Joe Lacob does it with the Warriors. He does it at a very high level, and they were the last dynasty we've had in the NBA. I got a great piece of sound from Nick Saban that Bobby pulled that we're going to play. I think it's really important to hear what maybe the greatest coach in all of football, college or pros. I think Belichick's the greatest of all time, and Saban and Belichick are joined at the hip. I got comments on that. Also, I want to get to what's happening with the NBA. Uh, there's another player in the NBA that has opted out. And Draymond Green, that's going to be a big topic on my show tonight. I'm on from 4 to 7 p.m. on Sirius XM 82. Most of it's going to be basketball talk, not Josh Jacobs talk. So I got a little bit of that coming up. And like to hear from you as we only got a half an hour left. And I think the guests today were brilliant. Kerry Bullbolts, the president of the Golden Knights, America's favorite sports gambler, Bill Krakenberger. And you just heard from Benny Bonsignor. As we're brought to you by Resorts World, home of Doghouse Saloon, where we'll be for select Monday night football games this year. If you're looking for a place to watch football, Resorts World has the perfect sports book and bar with added entertainment. It's Resorts World, the Doghouse Saloon. You know, I, honestly, growing up, I didn't know a whole ton about the Raiders. Grew up in Chicago. Uh, only thing I knew about the Raiders was my dad. He, he was a Bears fan, but he also, you know, li- liked the Raiders. He always said they were the cool team. They were the team that everyone wanted to cheer for, the badasses. And uh, I always kind of, that was kind of my impersonation of the Raiders. Uh, other than that, I mean, it was a cool organization. I can remember, you know, the throw, Ken Stabler, guys like that, just uh, hard-nosed guys that it was cool. And that's what we're trying to get back to. Jimmy G, I thought that was a great press conference. He said the Raiders were badasses. He played for the Niners. Obviously, he's aware of the Raiders in the Bay Area. And he said everything right. His dad thought the Raiders were cool. He mentioned Ken Stabler. I saw him at the alumni weekend. The alumni were here with the team. They came together at the M Resort. I just saw him in the room talking to Art Shell, Josh McDaniels, Dave Casper, Ted Hendricks, Charles Woodson, smiling and talking to everybody. He wants to be a Raider. And I think the whole Raider Nation should be behind Jimmy Garoppolo because this franchise was based also on a two-time champion who followed the same path, the exact same path, and he was more beat up than even Jimmy Garoppolo. And that was Jim Plunkett who came through New England in the 49ers and became a Raider. Now, I'm never predicting 
that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to jump in and win two Super Bowls and a Super Bowl MVP like Jim Plunkett. I would hope. It'd be great if he got one. But can you imagine if there was sports radio around when Jim Plunkett, when Al Davis came to Jim Plunkett and said, Jim, and Jim was broke, broken down physically and said, we're taking you. You'll be behind Dan Pastorini. You'll be third string. Just rest. Just rest and get healthy. We're going to need you. And that's one of the greatest signings in sports history. Al Davis bringing in Jim Plunkett. If there was sports radio back then, and there wasn't. There was literally no sports radio. A couple of couple of rogue shows, and Howard Cosell had a one-hour weekend show. There wasn't legitimate five-day-a-week caller-driven sports talk. Can you imagine what they would have said when Jim Plunkett got brought on? No one would have known. No one would have cared. They wouldn't even have cared. They would have said Jim Plunkett. Oh, I remember him, Heisman Trophy winner. Wow, first pick overall, all of that. But, oh, the last time I saw him, he was just getting smoked, tackled, buried to the ground, injured. Jimmy Garoppolo's been hurt a bunch. He seems to be healthy now, and they're trying to get him completely healthy. The sad thing for Jimmy, and it's not sad to him, it's just sad for us in the media, is that no one will give him the opportunity to play and say that they even hope he plays the whole year. I got really good Raider fans who are friends of mine, and they don't even tell me, Bobby, I hope he makes it through 17 games. They don't even say that. They're like, well, he's not going to make it the whole year. And I go, why would you say that? If he's completely healthy and he doesn't get hurt and popped and hit from behind and his ankle twisted, he should be able to play. Played plenty of games this year. He's won four playoff games. He had a great winning percentage. But the mind plays tricks on you. The mind tells you he's been hurt in the past, he'll get hurt again. There's a lot of athletes who have played professional sports that got hurt. I watched the Bill Walton special, The Luckiest Man Alive. I think that's called Luckiest Man on Earth, whatever it was. Oh, my God. I knew the story. But I didn't realize how badly Bill Walton was injured. And when he won the championship with Portland, he was injured the first two years, one in his third. They come back to repeat to be champions after they beat Julius Irving and what was supposed to be a better team. And Walton comes back, and that team was better than the championship team. And then all of a sudden, foot fracture, and they, they run the x-ray, and they don't see anything. And he's like, he can't walk. He wasn't pretending. He wasn't faking it. And there were people in Portland before the injuries – thought that he wasn't sincere about it. Bill Walton was one of the greatest champions of all time under John Wooden. Won an NBA title in Portland and with Larry Bird. If he could ever play and he could go, he would go. But there were points in time where he just couldn't play. And this was a really good documentary. Oh, and one other thing before we get to some of the sound that we have here. Open lines if you want to get through, 702-365-9200. Over the last two days, I watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. Arnold. I'm doing a podcast tomorrow with uh, Tom Looney. We're going to mention this. I was blown away. I didn't realize how great of an athlete. The opening chapter, it's three parts. Part one is about the athlete. It says athlete. That was the bodybuilding. Part two was movies. Holy crap, the story about him with movies. Guy couldn't speak. Guy couldn't speak. And then he was in some pretty big movies and then became the number one box office guy for a long time. And then part three was politics where he becomes the governor. He becomes the governor. You want to talk about a life. Well, anyway, back to his bodybuilding years. I said this to my wife after I watched it. I said, I don't think there was an athlete ever, I'm talking 200 years ago till now, that ever spent more time in the gym than Arnold. So all these guys who play football and basketball, they work out. Jerry Rice used to run hills and have two or three workouts a day. Nowhere close to Arnold. When he was 16 years old in Austria and dreamed of being a bodybuilder in an attic, he would work out four hours straight 
put down the weights, and then work out four hours later for another four hours. He was doing eight hours a day at Venice Beach after he won Mr. Olympia and outworking every other bodybuilder times two. They were saying, oh, my God, Arnold's back here today. We saw him in the ocean an hour ago. We thought he was done for the day. And then Arnold comes out of the ocean and works out like a lunatic for three more hours. That was his athlete portion. So when we think of the greatest athletes of all time, we think of who? Jesse Owens, Jim Brown, who played in multiple sports, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali didn't play a lot of sports. How did we forget Arnold Schwarzenegger? Maybe on the Mount Rushmore of not the greatest athlete of all time, but the hardest worker that I've ever seen in my life. You have to watch this documentary on Netflix about Arnold, and you won't believe what he did in the gym. Now, they touched on steroids, because they're all on steroids. Look at the way they look. They touched on that, but he was in the gym doing it, and that was part of the industry. To be a, a global bodybuilder, you can only do so much naturally, but... I was just blown away by the amount of time he put into the gym. And then when he got world famous, he still had to show up and go five hours in the gym where he could have slept in those satin sheets in those mansions. It really had a good effect on me watching it. Highly motivational to watch Arnold. It's streaming now on Netflix. Uh, Let's get out to Thor, Black Hole, North Las Vegas. Thor, how are you? I was just going to speak about our partnership with the Black Hole. Start it off with me. What's happening, JT? Happy belated Father's Day, sir. Thank you. Um, just got my phone back. Father's Day, I had a barbecue with Cisco and, you know, black hole people, a couple, and I jumped in the um, pool with my phone, so I just got it back, got to call in. I heard a little bit of you earlier, but I've been inside the phone store the whole time. Um, and and I, I'm, I don't care. I'm excited, JT. I feel like this team is going to be better than people think. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Raider fan, I feel like you need to be excited about the Raiders. You you got to be ready for this team to explode. I understand some of us have some PTSD over the last 20 plus years, but we're going to keep fighting, and and we as Raider Nation are going to come together and give them what we can to help them be great. So. Let's get it done, Raider Nation. Stay positive. Positive vibes bring positive outcomes. I'm tired of hearing people all depressed, and the season ain't started yet. Jimmy G is going to be great for us. This offense is going to get off. The D is going to be better than expected. Um, And I can't wait. I can't wait. We got a little under three months. Let's go. I'm talking about Raiders are going, going to win the division this year. Let's do it. Thank you. Appreciate it, Thor. Good to hear from you. It's a black hole. Uh, remember, if you go to theblackhole.com, you can become a member. Why wouldn't you want to become a member of the black hole? Oh, my God. If you're a Raider fan, the black hole is offering memberships to you. Okay? This isn't joining the Navy SEALs or pledging a fraternity on a college campus where you might have to pledge for six weeks. The black hole is the most notorious fan base in professional sports. Sign up, become a member, be a part of that team, get a T-shirt, get a hat, you know, get some pins, do everything, and then show up at all their events and be a part of the brother and sisterhood. That's why I'm thrilled to be associated with them. I'm the first ever member ever into the Black Hole Hall of Fame. And how lucky am I that I still have a friendship and a partnership with the Black Hole, 25 years almost going on. Go to theblackhole.com, become a fan of the Black Hole and a member, and they have a whole bunch of offers for you which you're going to love. You know, what Thor said, I agree with what he said. I think the Raiders, are, how could they not be better on defense, please? 
They take Tyree Wilson off the edge with Max Crosby, Chandler Jones. They went out and got a whole bunch of guys to play in the secondary. One or two of them are going to hit. They might get Marcus Peters. So I think the defense will be better. Plus, it's going to be year two under Patrick Graham in the system. And then Dave Ziegler went out and got us, told me to my face on the air, we're going to get faster, more explosive and smarter players. That's what you assume he did in the draft. So he went out and made all those moves. So let's assume the defense is going to be a little bit better, like Thor said. I think everybody would agree. 90% of Raider Nation agrees with me on that. The defense is going to be better. I don't know how much better. The offense is loaded. It's, it's loaded. It's absolutely can cause fits to teams in this league. Russell Wilson is a very good player. Justin Herbert, I think, is elite. I don't think he's great. I think he's elite. They don't have the players that the Raiders have. Now, they might have a few offensive linemen. Kansas City, I didn't mention them. Kansas City, I leave out. Kansas City is elite. Everybody there. So I, I leave them out. But you look at Denver and the Chargers and then the Raiders and then look at the Buccaneers and the Vikings and go around to the Jets and keep going around the league. The Raiders have players on both sides of the ball and special teams that can win any game. You didn't, I didn't say every game. I said any game. The Raiders are not going to line up against a team other than Kansas City where you say to yourself, okay, we could have a problem here. I'm dead serious. You, you really, are you afraid of the Giants and the Jets? Really? You're afraid of the Giants and the Jets? I know you're not afraid of the Broncos and the Chargers. Are you worried about the Steelers? I mean, there's nothing to really worry about. The Raiders had five uh, games with double-digit leads. They improved the team in the offseason. They tweaked it with some specialty players. And Jimmy Garoppolo would probably not be a part of a team that lost five games with double-digit leads. I'll go out on a limb there, and if, I, if I'm wrong, you know where to find me. Now, the problem is that Derek had those leads, and Derek did not blow all those games. He did not. All the five games that were there, I don't blame Derek for the Arizona game. I blame the defense for losing that game. I, 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 do, I don't blame completely, but Derek in the Rams game, up 16-3, to the second half of that game, he was not himself. All they needed was a couple of first downs and completions. Devontae, get him going. But I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo, if healthy and at 100%, would be in a situation where he would blow a bunch of double-digit games. And if not, they wouldn't have brought him in. They, they, that's not what Jimmy does. Uh, Jimmy wins games. He wins games at a high percentage when he starts because he makes some pretty good decisions. I want to play this Nick Saban soundbite, Bobby, if you could. Uh, Bobby shared this with me today, and I thought it was worth playing on the air. Head coach of Alabama football season upcoming, and that conference is going to get a lot better because, remember, Texas and Oklahoma are coming in, and Saban is always recruiting. Would you like to see more parity, and do you think that that's coming with the expanded playoff? Well, I think all leagues want to create parity. If you look at the NFL, mm -hmm. you know, they, they would love for everybody to be 8-8 eight and eight going into the 17th game of the season because every fan base and every city would be excited about what's the outcome of the next game. So parity creates a lot of excitement. I think it's harder to do in college football because we have so many different teams and the fundamentals are different at the University of Alabama and as, as opposed to another school. And I don't want to mention another school, but a one double A school, a division two school, even a lower half, you know, division one school. 
the money's different, the dynamics are different, the investment that's made in the athletes and the program are different, and the value created for the athletes is different. So um, it's not all the same. So if we were going to create parity, we would have to take, okay, this is a group of 60 teams or however many, I don't know what the number is, and these are the four or five leagues that we're going to have, and we may consolidate them, and we're going to try to create parity in a more refined group. Sure. I don't think that's the only way, that's probably the only way that you could accomplish that. So our fan base, they want to dominate. So my job is to try to create a program here where we have the best chance to succeed and have success relative to the competition. But I think even in the SEC, when you add Texas and Oklahoma, there's going to be more parity because there's probably going to be six, seven teams ranked in the top 20 sure. that are going to be playing each other. So, uh, But the problem with the way the whole system is, there's no account accounting for that. All we do is take the teams that win the most games at the end of the year and put them at the in the playoffs. But do you really get the best teams? You know, when, when, they, when they told me that we would be favored against three out of the four teams that got in the playoffs, I'm like, well, why aren't we in the playoffs? Sure. But if, if you're going to have parity, you have to have a better way of figuring out who has the best teams, not just because you lose two games on the last play of the game. Yeah. I love that soundbite. It was long. I wanted you to hear it for twofold. I love what he's the difference between dominating and parity. So I'll go back to Kansas City. They've been dominating the AFC, dominating. And there's some parity in the AFC. I see a lot of, I see about 10, 12 teams like the Raiders in the AFC that are pretty much the same, but you have one dominant team. And that's what they're doing. Alabama's the same thing. You got a lot of good teams, but they're the dominant team. Nick Saban actually believes he should have went to the college football playoffs because the Vegas odds say his team would have been favored. He's out of his mind. They, they lost down the stretch and played themselves out of the playoffs. So in his world, he would be there all the time. He'd be in the playoffs every time, and now he will because they're going to have an expanded playoffs. Uh, NFL Live is putting up Raider news now because Josh Jacobs put out the tweet, bad business, and everybody is speculating now what that means. I'm sure the show coming up next, Q's on vacation, We'll dive into that. We'll come back on the other side, talk about Draymond Green and what I think is going to change here pretty quickly. I'm going to talk about a guy who's a really good player. Really good player, but the question remains, where would Draymond Green be today if he didn't play with Steph Curry? Where would he have been if he played New Orleans or Detroit at the time? His hometown team. Where would he be? Would he still be the great Draymond Green? Or would he be a guy coming off the bench? Or a guy you really never paid attention to? I'll get to that next. We really want Draymond back. Um, what he means to this organization, this team, in terms of trying to win at the highest level, uh, we, we, we feel like we have to have him. Um, so that's very important. That's Mike Dunleavy Jr., who's the new GM of the Warriors. He was a decent player, good player in college. His dad was a coach. Bob Myers uh, steps down and moves on, and now they got to figure out what they're going to do with Draymond Green. I'll be talking about this a lot tonight on Mad Dog Sports Radio, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific time. I would walk away from Draymond now. That would just be me because I think they got the max out of Draymond. But Draymond's a very important piece on that team. 
very important piece because he knows the offense and he knows how to distribute the ball. He's not—he's a guy who doesn't score a lot of points, and that's the criticism of Draymond. So it's one of the more difficult topics in sports talk radio to debate. You know, now it's all about debating. Even if you don't agree, just yell at the guy next to you. If you look at Draymond Green today and look back at his legacy, what would have happened if he didn't play for the Warriors? Now, that's not his fault. He played for the Warriors, second-round pick. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He did everything he was supposed to do. He worked hard. He played hard. He was a bully at times, great rebounder, tough guy. He was a catalyst, and he was a good passer, very good passer. Jokic is a great passer in Denver. Draymond was very good, and Draymond would give you points, and he was the enforcer. Someone had to be there to protect Wayne Gretzky back there with the Oilers, and Draymond had to be there to protect Steph Curry, little guy, little tiny guy. Draymond did all that well. So I'm not criticizing what he did back in the day. I'm just questioning what would have happened with Draymond if Draymond Green was in a situation where, you know, he was with Detroit. He was with another team. He wouldn't have four championships. He might have elevated that team to make the playoffs or maybe go to a Eastern Conference Finals. But I don't think he would have been the Draymond Green we know today. It's the same thing I say about Ben Roethlisberger. He's a very good player, Hall of Famer. What happens if Ben Roethlisberger didn't go to the Steelers with that culture and he went to Carolina? Or he ended up going to a, a smaller team or the Jacksonville Jaguars? Would he have won two? Probably not, but Ben was a great player. But he played in the culture of the Steelers. Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, it helped him elevate his professionalism. And he wasn't very professional when he came in. Draymond just recently punched a teammate, Jordan Poole, in the preseason. No one even cared. Literally, not one of the fans cared. The coach didn't care because he's Draymond Green and he had four rings. So I don't know what's going to happen here. If I was the team, I'd say, Draymond, thank you. We're going to retire your number, retire it, and you're going to be, and we paid you all that money. I don't think there's a lot of upside left with Draymond. Why, why wouldn't you want to go out and find a 22-year-old Draymond? Find the next one. Go do that because the Warriors don't want to upset their fans and they want to do the most important thing. They want to try to win again in the Steph Curry era. See, if they didn't have Steph Curry either or Clay on that team, they're like, oh, let's break this whole thing up and start again. But what happens if Steph Curry wants Draymond and Steph Curry deserves to say whatever he wants? He runs that team. If he says, hey, I'm making $50 million. I want Draymond. I get 35 We want to do it again. And their owner has proven that he'll go beyond the salary cap. He will go beyond the salary cap and pay some fees and penalties going forward. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I would guess today that they're going to bring Draymond back. Draymond opted out of $27 million. He'll probably get 32 35 on a two-year deal with an option. Probably, again, it'll be the team option instead of the player option. But it'd be good to be Draymond Green right now because he's going to be the number one replacement for Shaq or Charles, whoever goes first on TNT. The guy who says, I won out first, which it should be Shaq, because he's got a lot more money than Charles, and Charles has got a lot of money too. Draymond's going to go right in there and have a pretty good broadcast career on TV because he's, he's fearless. He'll say anything about anybody, and there's only a few guys who can do that. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. Nice show today. Nice surprise hearing from Kerry Bullbolts. He joined us. He was fantastic. The president of the Golden Knights, Vinny Bonsignor, and Bill Krakenberger for an extended interview. So I really appreciate those guys and everything they did. Bobby put the show together. We're off tomorrow for the Aces. First time in my career I'm off for the world champion Aces are going to be live on at this point in time. Thursday I have the Raiders draft luncheon. 
Uh, find my rest of my schedule all week at JT the Brick on Twitter. Thanks to all of our partners. Have a great day. Bye.